0: Welcome to the last episode where this podcast will be named this week in the CLE starting Monday, this podcast will be called Today in Ohio. Same great cast, same fun conversation, and we hope the same audience. I'm Chris Quinn. I am here with my colleagues, Layla Tassi, Lisa Garvin and Laura Johnston. It's a Friday before Halloween. Kind of looks like a rainy Halloween. So you're all going to have a ton of candy left. Not good. You all ready for a good weekend?
1: Yeah, yeah i of staying. not want retreating no matter what i mean no we're, we're going out
2: i don't think and, that kids will stay in uh regardless no. of rain i've never seen that <laughs> i'm betting laura johnston that when
0: you go out with your kids you're in costume
1: this year my my daughter and i are going as kit and dotty from league of their own so yeah that. i'm excited so cute. oh that's cool cute. Uh, that georgia
0: is,
3: peaches that's very Exactly,
1: very
0: creative, but I'm not surprised that you dress up every year to go (laughs) trick or treating. You'll probably still be doing it going door to door when your kids are in college. (laughs) (laughs) Let us begin. Why did Ohio Governor Mike DeWine ask for and get the resignation of our state school board president? Lisa Garvin, we talked about a lot of stories that are disturbing over the past year on this podcast. This one ranks way up there. What is going on with this state and its intolerance?
3: It seems that people who authored or supported Resolution 20, which was the anti-racism bill that was Uh, you know, uh, introduced last July are falling like dominoes. Laura Kohler, who was a co-author of that resolution, will tender her resignation to Mike DeWine this morning within the hour. And we just learned here on Cleveland.com, you can find the story that another board member who supported the uh, resolution, Eric Pakla of Worthington, resigned this morning. He sent his letter to Governor DeWine. I'm not really sure what DeWine's reason was. He asked for her resignation, but I'm not sure I really saw a reason, but I think we all know what the reason is. I think all this, you know, hoopla over critical race theory and, you know, diversion and equity in schools is just a political talking point that's getting people riled up. But apparently there were members of the Senate that were not happy with her involvement in resolution 20. She was just reappointed by DeWine earlier this year. So yeah, it's and she's from Albany, she's a Republican and she is very dismayed at the direction that the board is taking. She says it's really a tough time to be a moderate these days. And she's really concerned about the board's ability to work independently, because apparently the Senate wants a role in appointing and advising and consent of board members, which they don't have at this point. So it just sounds like a takeover to me well i mean think about
0: what this is about they the school board in the days and weeks after the george floyd murder when the country was just roiling passed a very simple resolution to recognize that racism has played a role in many institutions and dedicating itself to not doing so resolution it was just a simple statement that, right that we don't support that and, you know, this is before the words critical race theory had been created by whoever is creating this phony movement. And and now now that critical race theory is being discussed everywhere, even though it is not taught in any local schools, in any K through 12th grade school, it doesn't exist. Doesn't matter. There's this movement out there saying, oh, we got to get this out of here. You know, Mike Gibbons, the candidate for Senate today, sent in a ridiculous op ed warning people about the dangers of this and really what this is about is intolerance. I feel like we're almost in the age of McCarthy. You know, Mike DeWine has a list of people who who have once or now support the idea that racism has existed in our past and they got to go. And I, I just am stunned that he asked for her resignation. All she did was vote for a resolution to recognize that racism has existed in this country and she's out. How yeah. How can we as a state, accept this kind of behavior from the guy who's in charge. It's, it's a stunner. I, I'm just aghast. And what does this say to every person of color in the state? It's not just they rescind the resolution, but anybody who even suggests that racism has ever existed in the state is going to lose their role in state government.
3: I share her feelings about being very worried about the direction of the board going forward. I mean, we have a super majority in in the state legislature and now the Senate is going to meddle in, you know, who gets appointed to this board. That's kind of frightening to me. I mean, I really think that, you know, I've seen a lot of parents at school board meetings say that they don't want their children to feel like they're, you know, morally deficient or, you know, or a bad person, but they need to know the truth of history. I mean, what's what's wrong with knowing the truth of history? If you don't want to know that truth, you're a snowflake. I'm sorry.
0: Well, and nobody is suggesting that we tell children you should feel guilty about this. It's the idea that those who don't learn history are are damned to repeat it. How sinister is it that the Senate president, Matt Huffman, is insisting on interviewing these people who are on the school board to find out where they stand on critical race theory, which doesn't get taught, in Ohio schools that's the big fallacy here this isn't a thing but but to somehow champion the base and get people all riled up about something that doesn't exist it's i'm telling you it's like communism in the 50s you know we're we're surrounded by communists i have a list of communists they're all over the place this feels exactly like that
3: it does it does and i guess the senate will be weighing in on the new superintendent of public education a job that's that's currently open and that scares Laura Kohler as well. I mean, I think her, you know, her fears are are very well founded. I just hope we can keep them from coming to fruition.
1: Can well, Latassi,
3: I've to... heard
0: from a bunch of readers that that are worried that they're going to mistakenly cast votes for candidates that are championing the critical race theory nonsense. They're they're just worried because we had done a. Directory on some of the districts of how the candidates break down, the others people live in other districts clamored, "Help us! We don't want to elect this right. kind of person. We want people dedicated to sane education." So we have stuff popping now, right? We had a Lake County guide yesterday. We got others coming.
2: We do, we do. We're we're looking at Summit. Um, what else? Lorraine County. Uh, so uh, we're going to, you know, obviously we we uh, manpower would be an issue when we're looking at the, uh, so many districts, but we're going to. Tell readers exactly who is running for school board on these kinds of campaigns and uh, in districts with three thousand students or more. So that's that's our uh, goal by by the by election day, voters should have that information in hand if if it matters to them. Lisa, how
0: much more would it have meant if Mike DeWine had come out and instead of asking for the resignation, held the press conference to stand behind his choice for school board president, championing the idea that, a, that the state school board should have a mixture of ideas and should have debate about what's best for the schools instead of running her out on a rail?
3: I don't know if it would have made a lot of difference. I mean, at this point, I don't think it would have made any difference if he'd had a press conference. I, I just don't. I think he's hiding. I don't think he wants to talk about this.
0: No, because he ran her out. He, did, right. he put his tail between his legs, scurried off into a corner and forced her out because she had the audacity to write a resolution and fight to maintain it that recognizes that racism has existed in our past. You're listening to This Week in this CLE. Do legitimate metrics show downtown Cleveland is recovering from the pandemic? Laura Johnston, we talked a bit about this a few weeks ago, a month ago, where there were claims that that downtown was coming back. and We threw the flag. It's like, where are the numbers? Where is anything other than your anecdotal information? And now it looks like they've come back with actual numbers.
1: They do have actual numbers, although I really love Eric Heisig's headline, Downtown Cleveland is Recovering Well from Effects of COVID, According to Agency that Promotes Downtown Cleveland. So, I mean, yes, they have, you know, a reason to be crowing about these numbers, but they're going up. The number of average workers, residents, and visitors downtown on any given day was about 129,000 in September, and that was according to data from this firm called laser AI, and it measures foot traffic. That's below the estimate of 153,000 that we had in January and February of 2020 before the world came to a halt. Much better than April of 2020, obviously, and much better than last September when we were looking at 82,000. So that's going up. 90% of companies downtown have had some return to the office. The majority have workers in the office, while some others work from home. So, I mean, that's a A big statistic that they're coming back but we don't know what percentage of the workers are back or or how often they're coming to the office and then 93 percent of surveyed companies said they plan to bring more employees back to the office in the coming months so it's optimistic
0: but to put that into perspective we can look at our own newsroom right we reopened the newsroom to people some months ago people could come in you know, we got a lot of people that work for our company and on any given day there may be three people there. Uh so it's not and so by that survey, we'd be in the ninety percent. Right. I was brought, thinking
1: the exact same thing, but, right? But
0: there's nobody. I mean, nobody's back down there. So um, yeah, but but you know, looking at RTA and looking at at some of the other things, there is clear progress being made. I still f- wonder when this agency is going to do a visioning exercise for what is the future of downtown. Because clearly, the workers are not all coming back. Many of them like working from home, and the companies are reducing their space. But we'll have to see. Check out Eric's story on Cleveland.com. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Cleveland mayoral candidate Kevin Kelly is attacking opponent Justin Bibb as someone who would defund the police, which actually is not true. But how are some in the Democratic Party worrying that a Democrat would lodge such a charge against a fellow Democrat as the elections in 2022 loom? Leila Tassi?
2: This I love this story. Reporter Andrew Tobias did, did this very interesting piece yesterday about the phenomenon that, that one Republican consultant referred to as a circular firing squad among Democrats. Basically, you know, we're seeing Democratic rivals attack one another the way Republicans usually attack Democrats, by calling them socialists or accusing them of supporting efforts to defund the police. And that's what we've been seeing in the Cleveland mayoral race. Justin Bibb supports issue 24. That's the proposed charter change that would create a stronger community police commission and a civilian review board. But Kelly says that that's going to cost the city as much as $4 million a year, and his campaign literature likens it to defunding the police, which clearly it is not. Uh, Justin Bibb says that his platform supports police reform and, and and you know things like reassigning police on desk duty to active neighborhood patrol and sending mental health professionals as co responders for emergency calls. But, you know, we're seeing the same kind of thing in the Cincinnati mayor's race, where one candidate is using his TV ads to accuse the other of working against law enforcement, siding with activists who want to defund the police, even though that's not accurate either. And the same is true in the Dayton City Commission race. In, in that case, we we actually see some of the attack mailers coming from the Democratic Party itself, which is apparently totally against the rules. They're not supposed to be sending out messaging, attacking fellow Democrats. And a spokesman acknowledged that to Andrew Tobias, that that uh, these mailers should not have been sent. So it's just the circular firing squad metaphor is so interesting. David Pepper, the former Ohio Democratic Party chairman, said this is really hurting the party overall. It's it's basically gift wrapping these issues for Republicans just to make it easier for them to make the case that Democrats are all about, you know, eroding public safety and defunding the police. So, yeah.
0: You do get the idea that the Kelly campaign is just absolutely desperate, but we should divide the, the Justin Bibb element. Justin Bibb has a very clear Strategy for how he wants to improve policing in the city, as you described, putting more people that are on. He's done the analysis. Cleveland has way more people on desk duty than other big city departments. I mean, he's got a pretty carefully thought out plan. He, separately, he supports issue 24 while acknowledging that it is hugely flawed and will have to be fixed. But he said he supports it in recognition of all the people in Cleveland who feel the relationship with the police are broken. Kevin Kelly's trying to use his supportive. Issue 24 is a scare tactic to say, oh, my God, police will quit. This will cost lots of money, which which some of the anti issue 24 people are arguing. But the defund the police part of that is ridiculous. Issue 24 does not defund the police. It doesn't take any money away from the police. It actually adds money for the the citizens board that would exist. So it actually increases money on public safety. But it is interesting that he's Kevin Kelly is coming across with Republican themes as he attacks his opponent. It's all going to be over Tuesday. We can't wait for that to happen. (laughs) You're listening to This Week in the CLE. So is it official now? Will three Republican members of the Ohio Redistricting Commission, chosen to serve by a constitutional amendment by the voters, have done absolutely nothing to draw new lines for both the legislative and now the congressional districts. Lisa Garvin, we've talked about the abdication of their duties by these three Republicans. But the fact that voters changed both of these processes in large numbers and they haven't done a thing as prescribed by the Constitution, I don't think any of us saw that coming.
3: The abdication of their duty is now complete after yesterday's meeting. the There was no MAP for them to re- consider or rep- approve. They did hear from a couple of people in the audience. They had several MAP proposals that were forwarded from the public, um, which was just a dog and pony show, apparently. But anyway, uh, Frank LaRose, Secretary of State Frank LaRose and State Auditor Keith Faber are now cut out of the process, as is Governor DeWine, because now the legislature will consider the congressional maps. Frank LaRose said yesterday that he was supremely disappointed with this, and he said that changes are needed for the redistricting process, but what he says doesn't matter anymore because he's not part of the process. Um, There is a placeholder bill in the Senate, Senate Bill 258, that is drafted for the GOP map plan. The Democrats already have one, Senate Bill 237, and that's the plan that calls for um, eight GOP districts, six Democratic districts, and one toss-up district. Uh, Senate President Matt Huffman swears that a map will be coming next week, possibly on Wednesday. Well, we'll just wait to see what happens. But here here we have, you know, and I do like Frank LaRose. I mean, he's done some wrong things, but I think he's tried to stay on an even keel despite the political winds blowing his way. But now, you know, he's cut out of the process, and I, I, I just... I, you've given me stories today, Chris, that have angered up my blood. This just makes me angry. <laughs> Layla
0: and Lara, wouldn't you love if our workplace worked this way where you just chose which of your prescribed duties you could ignore?
1: Oh, does that mean it doesn't work that together way the newsletter
2: anymore?
0: <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it be great if it's like, yeah, I, you know, I know I'm paid to do that, but I'm not, I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to skip that. <laughs> wouldn't that be a great system? No, absolutely not. These guys were tasked by the voters, by the citizens of Ohio, who pay a ton of money in the state government to do a job. And they completely dropped the ball. And and Lisa, I get what you say about Frank LaRose, but he dropped the ball. But Keith Saber this... dropped the ball. Mike Dewine again has dropped the ball. Laura, and it,
1: it, I, they're doing this in in private. It's not like they're they're trying saying I'm going to you know figure out how to hold a meeting anywhere. I'm going to put out a news release about what's going on. I mean, they're cowed by their party, and maybe they're saying now I'm disappointed, but it's not like you saw them working to fix the system for the last two months
0: they didn't do a thing they they just sat back and said yeah there's nothing we can do about it mm -hmm. i you know the democratic party in this state is completely broken they're a disaster but you would think they'd be taking a lot of notes on what's been going on lately you know The the asking for the resignation of a school board president because of one thing she did to (laughs) to recognize racism has existed, not doing their constitutional duties in one of the biggest, most important jobs there is, which is redrawing these lines. I mean, I would think that that might weigh heavily on voters. We'll have to see. You're listening to this week in this CLE. How much did Ohio's unemployment system pay out by mistake or because of fraud between April 2020 and June 2021? Laura Johnston, we keep talking about Mike DeWine not doing his job. This is another example of a complete failure of the DeWine administration. It is a staggering sum of money that has been taken away from the taxpayers.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to have to lump John Houston in there too cuz remember all the times he stood up and tell us told us it was getting fixed, but this is a huge number, 3.8 billion dollars between April 2020 and the end of last June, and honestly most of that was just errors. So we've heard a lot about fraud, but the overwhelming majority of that is just mistakes that people were making 3.4 billion of it either an error by a worker an employer or state officials and then 477 million which is no chump change paid to claims later found to be fraudulent and that's more than 673 dollars for every ohioan in the labor force which is crazy Well, and
0: Keith Faber, the auditor, said it. This is our money. It's the taxpayers' money. And he said, actually, it's our children's money, which if you put it in that perspective, if you had that $634 for every Ohioan and you invested it now, you can make college free for the next generation of kids. (laughs) No, think about it. That is a staggering sum of money to have just given away by mistake. And again, this is the DeWine administration. This is this is what they've done. They have mistakenly given away billions of dollars and again, really no accountability. Faber is calling them out. But did you get much of a response from from them? No,
1: no. And, and the res- mistakes are, are, you know, head scratching. They it was in, workers who didn't report their earnings in a weekly claim because they hadn't been paid yet. Employers who were tardy in reporting their employees wages. Um The state was basically rushing to get this done, right? People were out of work covid was rampant they needed money so they weren't really double checking anything they had this computer system that dates back to 2004 and not enough controls on it
0: you're saying they were rushing tell that to the people well, who waited months <laughs> to get their <laughs> to get their checks tell that to the people who are on hold on the phone for an entire day not getting answers i mean the idea that they're rushing does not really fit with the experience of the anguished people we heard from
1: no, I agree. And then, so you're wondering who they're paying, right? One unnamed address had 1,400 names associated with it that they paid <laughs> out. They had 140,000 instances where they sent benefits to someone who was, was dead. They also uncovered 86,000 potential instances where the payment went to someone currently in prison. I mean, those are a lot of claims and now people can get them, they, they don't necessarily have to pay them back. If it wasn't their mistake, like if it wasn't my mistake in filling out a form, then, and you overpaid me, I might get to keep that money.
0: The the thing too, the, this is the state government which has access to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles database, so you could just do a simple check. Does this person line up with that address on their vehicle registration of their driver's license? And if they do, okay, they pass the test. If they don't, you give it some more rigor. But apparently they didn't use the resources they had at hand to check. Now think about that. 1400 to one address. Seems like that would have been I mean, pretty you could easy Google to figure that.
1: out. I mean, that doesn't even require a database. Yeah,
2: yeah I can't even pick up an item at Target that I ordered online without proving who I
1: am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's amazing. It's one of those stories that continues to just make your eyes pop out of your head. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Do we have a new controversy brewing in Cuyahoga County's Human Resources Department? Why did the director summarily quit this week? Lilatasi, I'm betting you can't
2: say. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Yes, at the moment, it's very unclear why this happened, but the county's chief human resources officer Jesse Drucker abruptly resigned Wednesday. He's only been the HR director since uh, you know June 2020. But um, he emailed his resignation letter to County Executive Armand Budish and Chief of Staff Bill Mason Thursday morning without really providing a reason. In fact, the letter was only one sentence long. It said, I am resigning effective immediately. <laughs> so quite obviously, something provoked this. Drucker had presented his department's budget to county council on Monday. He he spoke about the county's trouble in filling vacancies and and talked about potential moves to trim the hiring process from 45 to 60 days down to 30. Maybe, maybe all of that has something to do with it. You know, the biennial budgeting process has been kind of controversial this year because Budish's approach to budgeting involves leaving unfilled positions vacant in just about every department. And just budgeting, you know, adjusting the budget downward to match that. And that has really caused a lot of consternation among county council members. So I can only imagine that the HR director might take issue with that approach, too. But honestly, we don't know. We're, we're still trying to get to the bottom of this.
0: Yeah, you don't quit on the spot without having some provocation. Uh, and this has been a shaky administration. They do, they've done some sleazy things. And the, the We all know the controversial story of Douglas Dykes, the previous HR director. So you just wonder if he was being asked to do something that he just couldn't tolerate. Um, we'll have to see. I hope we get more information. It's a challenge for our new Cuyahoga County reporter, Caitlin Durbin. We'll see what she gets. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why was a Russian national in Korea extradited to the United States to appear in federal court in Cleveland? Lisa Garvin, we love tales of international intrigue that end up here in our Midwestern city.
3: Yeah, Vladimir Dunayev, he's a Russian national. He was arrested by U.S. Marshals in South Korea and brought back here to Cleveland. He did a lot of damage here in Cleveland. He was one of the developers of TrickBot, which is a... A malware system that's really done global damage, but quite a bit of damage here in Northeast Ohio. Back in 2017, they stole $471,000 from the Avon School District, and then in 2019, they hacked Coventry Schools. The Coventry School District did not lose money, but it cost them $80,000 to fix the damage that was done, and then an unnamed real estate business in North Canton lost $700. $150,000 to TrickBot in 2018. This malware stole, you know, login credentials to bank accounts, personal information, social security numbers. What happened to Dunayev, he got stuck in Seoul due to COVID travel restrictions, and his passport ran out in the meantime. He was trying to get a passport so he could get out of there, but then he got nabbed by the U.S. Marshals before he could leave South Korea. So he is here in Cleveland. He's being held here I don't know if a trial date has been set. Another person has also been charged, 19-year-old Alawita, who's got 19 charges of conspiracy. She was part of the development team that created TrickBot. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that trial unfold here in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot about how malware gets distributed, and it'll be a fun trial to pay attention to as they reveal the details of how they got to the bottom of it. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What does the Ohio Department of Agriculture say that we in Cuyahoga County should and should not do to help stop the spread of the destructive spotted lanternfly? Laura Johnston, it, it's kind of cool that we're getting good good instruction here on how not to destroy the state's trees.
1: Yeah, I know, but... I feel like when something like this comes in, like the emerald ash borer, you can have all the quarantines you want, and we're still going to end up with it all over the state. But the idea is to contain these destructive plant pests to the two counties where they've already been found, which is here and Jefferson County. They can spread quickly over long distances if someone moves infested items containing the egg masses. And that means tree branches, nursery stock, firewood, logs, outdoor items you got to go through a self-inspection checklist at this point from the Ohio Department of Agriculture if you want to take it to another county.
0: I mean, it's not like these things will get on your windshield, right, and you'll drive them to another place. It's got to be the, the the cuttings in your yard or something. And who transports that to another place? You well, just put it people, in a bag and put it to your curb?
1: Well, I, I don't know. That might be part of it, but people who are, are you know, buying a plant from a nursery or, um, I was thinking of camp, you know, campfires and camping, you you know, move if you have your own firewood, you might be taking that to another county, which is a lot of the way that emerald ash borer would spread. So you just got to be really careful at this point, because we don't know everywhere that these pests are. Obviously, the original ones was actually found in, in I think, the east side of Cleveland proper, which was surprising, like you'd think it would be like out in Geauga County or somewhere, um, or at least in r- more rural Cuyahoga County. But these are really devastating for the grape and wine industry. So we don't want it getting into the, you know, the Lake County uh, Ashtabula area where they have wineries. And they like grapevines, tr- fruit trees. I don't want them in an orchard. Hops, blueberry, oak, pine, poplar, and walnut.
0: I've been very fatalistic whenever we've talked about these things in the past because I'm not aware of any invasive species that haven't made it. Our opinion director, Betsy and Sullivan, and I have had some decent debates about the uh, the fish. The, what's the flying fish that they keep trying to keep oh, out? Oh, Asian carp?
1: Yeah, the Asian carp.
0: carp. And, you know, my attitude is, yeah, we can fight it all we want, but they're going to come through. And Betsy uh, hopes spring eternal. <laughs> and the she Brandon thinks that dam. if they do the right thing, they can keep them out of there. Uh, and I hope she's right. It's just the history of this country is once they get in, they do the damage. I and mean, what's happened to ash trees is the the evidence of that. It's really quite sad. Uh, I hope this is a successful effort, but from what you can tell so far, everything everywhere they've shown up they've spread and you're right they got into right into the heart of cleveland like at 55th street in carnegie and if they're there you got to figure they're in the suburbs we just haven't seen them yet uh does anything eat them is there any natural predator
1: i don't know the answer to that you would think something would would eat them but the reason they're so destructive and i mean they're not a native species so maybe that will take time to develop its you know part of the food chain
0: yeah, we ought to train something to eat them. Okay, for the last time, I'm going to say you are listening to This Week in the CLE. Come next week, I'll be saying you are listening to Today in Ohio, except the number of times I screw it up. All right, you guys ready for a whole new new game starting Monday, right? Layla, Lisa, Laura, ready?
2: Oh Yeah, yeah sure, oh, man. Yeah. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my T-shirt?
0: <laughs> The good news is, you're not going to have to identify yourselves every time you speak because we're no longer dicing and slicing this to serve it up in a different format. So once we say you're here, you can just speak up. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Everybody who listens to this podcast, please come back and hear us as today in Ohio. Have a good weekend.